studio. Hello, welcome. We are not live. I mean, we're live for us right now, but you'll be hearing it later. Um, for Montez Press Radio, it is another episode of Al Anonymous. I'm Al, and yeah. I have this cool new theme song written by Louis Glazer. Do you like it? Anyway, enough about him, enough about me. I am here with a very special guest, my friend, and just my friend, really. My <laughs> my just friend, James Payne. Would you like to say hello, James? Hello. We're just friends, just so we're clear. So today we're going to be discussing the politics of sobriety, right? Yes. Cool. So James sits. Are you comfortable? Okay. You can make yourself comfortable. Comfortable. Okay. Well, sorry. My home studio is still um, a work in progress. But James sits before me um, at my desk with my with two of my rattan nesting tables and on one of the nesting tables is my recorder and on the other one is like 10 sheets of notes that he's written in preparation for this pod. So strap in, maybe get out a pen and paper and take notes yourself because this should be an informative pod. Politics of sobriety. James, you want to open it up? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I approached Al with this topic. Uh, it comes out of a piece that is um, being published this week by Mask Magazine that I wrote. It's a personal essay called Two Cults, One Boy. And it's about growing up as a Jehovah's Witness and then later spending like a decade in, in the DIY world. And it's a cross comparison between the two milieus, and I draw a lot of parallels between both. And that got me thinking about how something like sobriety is often used um, in two different ways, even two different contradictory ways, even in the same cultures or subcultures and how the politics of it can seem a bit slippery so sobriety sorry and in, in cult can you repeat just the last part of it i'm sorry there's a car that drove by i'm sorry no. i'm sorry i'm really paying attention i swear yeah um the politics of sobriety in cultures and countercultures is that what you said or something I'm sorry. I'm I'm paying attention. I swear. Right. Yeah. So most people would th associate drugs and drinking with individual freedom, mm -hmm. um, or some type of left liberalism, uh, and most people in the U.S. would associate um, teetotaling or abstinence, abstination, uh, or prohibition with a kind of more Christian conservative. Uh, viewpoint but those so so you're saying prohibition the heart of it, the law came from a more christian um 
like view and um, belief. That's why we had prohibition. And like the liberals are the ones who are like, no, drinking's fine. Like drugs are fine. Well, that's that's one of the that's a site of contradiction right there that kind of gets to the heart of what I'm talking about. Okay, sorry. Keep going. So prohibition was seen as a progressive movement at the time, and it would have been um, associated with things like uh, anti-monopoly, anti-big business, pushing for reforms in, mm. in industry and trying to make life better for workers and general people. And it was also conflated with the women's political independence and a lot of women were associated first with the temperance movement and then with prohibition. So if you were on the left at the time, it's possible that you would have been for prohibition. Wow, that's actually, I did not know that, but now that I'm looking, now that I'm seeing it from like a 2020 perspective and seeing the prohibition of weed now, I think I, I, f- I think I fall more to the left and I am all for prohibiting marijuana <laughs> because I think pe- so many people would lose so many jobs if it were to be prohibited because yeah, uh, yeah it, pre- it um it prevents like monopolies and like big businesses like taking taking away from like small businesses selling weed you know yeah so i guess that makes sense yeah when i first read about prohibition recently and i watched the ken burns documentary it was hard to wrap my head around exactly what the politics of that would be but then i thought about how there's been an influx of beer halls and drinking even for people in their 40s and 50s on weekdays after work has become normalized at least in the city that i was living in before this in columbus ohio in the city too and in new york and parts of new york and you know you would it's so obviously a symptom of societal decline and you would normally associate higher rates of alcoholism with a public health problem and yet we've been able to because we're experiencing it in our own time instead of um with a remove and we're not looking at it as if it's a different country or a different time period we're able to aestheticize it or um, process it in a different way but really it should be alarming that so many people's um, manner of recreation is drinking beer every day every day yeah i mean i like even you know in new york city like in the art world it it like these openings it's the the focal point is like where's the alcohol you know um it's it's very rare that you go to an opening that uh doesn't have alcohol and usually you'll hear people say there's no alcohol by the way and it's like what <laughs> like yeah I, I it's really hard for me to go to openings now because of that because I've, I've never been to an opening sober really it's the fluorescent lights it's the art it's it's looking at the art it's yeah <laughs> i i'm not yeah i'm not ready to like f- confront the art raw and like really see it and understand it yeah this was always a big divide in diy because so many people only go to shows because it's a thing to do while you're drinking and there's such a symbiotic 
relationship between alcoholism and um, indie rock and punk um, after you're 21. But then the shows that you go to that actually mattered and where new ideas were coming out were places people wanted to be, even if there wasn't alcohol there. And that wasn't the purpose of why everyone was there, ultimately. I mean, I remember before I started drinking, I was going to shows because because it was something to do that was cool and fun. And it's crazy that I like was able to have so much fun at these shows without alcohol. It was just like pure. And maybe because it was like a new experience. I've never like been in the room with everyone vibing on the same level and like just like like enjoying the music. Um, and then, of course, once I discovered drinking, I discovered that everything's way more fun when I'm drunk. <laughs> um, yeah. But there, w- there was a time where, when I do recall going to DIY shows, like, well, just, well, because like my boyfriends would make me go, but I, I did enjoy them. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a big contradiction in punk in general. Um, one of the examples that I think about is in 1983, Minor Threat came out with Out of Step and the chorus is, um, don't drink, don't smoke, don't fuck, but at least I can fucking think. I'm out of step with the world. And Wait, she, one second. It's the, are they associated with the straight edge yeah. people? Okay. Yeah. Go on. Um, yeah, their kind of straight edge comes out of that record. And um, and in the same year, Gigi Allen releases a song called Drink, Fight, and Fuck. Um, and it's interesting because both of these people, both of these musical acts are identifiably punk. You couldn't really say that they weren't punk at all. And yet it's like a Schrodinger's cat situation where they're occupying two ideological spaces at the same time. But to me... I think what's interesting about that is that it's not that sobriety has a essential political valence. It's that um, it's used as a site of uh, differing that can be plugged into something that pre-exists. So when Ian Mackay was saying that, he's kind of talking about the commercialization of libidinal impulses like wanting to consume, uh, wanting to drink, wanting to have sex, and trying to separate himself in an ascetic way, almost like a monk or a nun, um, out of the world, to be in the world, but not of it. Ooh. Um, whereas Gigi Allen, who's, who was literally named Jesus Christ Allen, that was his legal name. Really? He, his parents did that? <laughs> yeah. And his father was a uh, religious fanatic. That's pretty cool. But he sees <laughs> he sees uh, punk as a way to go against the moral majority of the Reagan years in the 80s, which is totally true. And he sees it as a site of personal freedom and solace because he had a very abused um, childhood. And I didn't of- know that about Gigi Allen. But I kn- now knowing that his name was Jesus Christ, I can imagine <laughs> that... His childhood wasn't great. And he ended up dying of an overdose in New York, 36. Oh, that's tragic. Yeah. Very. Uh, it's close to home. Also, if, um, never mind. 
I was going to talk about this charity that I donate to, but I'll, I'll plug it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because Ian Mackay's father was uh, a Washington Post reporter, and he was actually in the Kennedy motorcade when Kennedy was shot. And so Ian Mackay is like this very middle class kind of philosophical viewpoint about it where, you know, it, it connects with all these Christian traditions where to properly appreciate God's creation or to be closer to God or to be at a different spiritual plane, you have to get out all the pollutants or adulterants in your mind so you can focus and actually have as much empirical data uh, to, to make so the, the toxins world. take up space and you need to make space for all the for all the good stuff yeah to appreciate god's creation i guess yeah that's that's enlightenment and dharma like a monk yeah a lot of these things are cross-cultural um the ascetics is found in almost every religion people who leave um cities and go live as hermits more or less and to connect on a higher spiritual plane but it's funny even those people like Trappist ale comes out of Trappist monasteries um, where monks would sell, would brew and sell beer to um, pay for the monastery itself. Wow. <laughs> I love that. And <laughs> they would make this like taxpayer's ale, which when the taxpayer came around, they would make a high alcohol content ale so they would get too drunk to. That is the punk if I've ever heard <laughs> it. That is so cool. Wow. Yeah, I, I guess I really, I never really knew until recently um, the correlation between monks and punks, you know. Um, I heard you had a Krishna core yeah. person on recently. <laughs> yeah, I recently did a pod with my friend from a former life who's now Hare Krishna. And he, I mean, when I met him, he was a punk to the core but apparently at his core he is a Hare Krishna so he says. which is punk yeah it's punk it's yeah. same thing same thing punk monk it's all the same but okay keep going sorry not interrupting I'm okay. just seeing if we're recording yeah yeah something else along those lines is that the um, chartreuse that drink it comes out of the Chartreusian um, monastery and that's so that's where it was produced and they would produce this liquor liqueur but then when the french revolution happened wait where did chartreuse the color come from from the drink interesting yeah so that's why it's named after the order the monastic order uh, what other colors were named after alcoholic beverages there are several actually but i can't um, they're not coming to me mm. um but when the french revolution happened they expelled all the monastic orders so they had to makes chartreuse i believe in spain and then there were two rival um chartreuse production sites much later until the monks got their site back victory yeah so i mean here you have like the political tradition that i align myself with it's kind of like revolutionary communism um and it results in these ascetic people who are self-contained living a communal lifestyle being expelled out of the country and their liquor uh ceasing production it's kind of absurd yeah absolutely 
And I didn't know until today when I was preparing my notes <laughs> that mm -hmm. there's prohibition in the USSR until 1925. Isn't that around the same time there's prohibition here? Yeah, 1920 to 1933. So we had it here for longer than Russia. There's actually... Or the USSR. Is there a difference? Never mind. Well, not. You know me in geography. It started in the Russian Empire, and then there was the Russian Revolution. Right, the Revolution. Um, revolution. So... I want to go back to um, Gigi Allen's upbringing and how he... He was raised, like, in a super Christian way, and, like, he really um grasped or like kind of started was a part of the this like um counterculture punk movement that was rebelling against society well i a lot of whatever so um you mentioned that you were in a jehovah's witness household community yeah i was raised as a jehovah's witness and i stopped uh, going to the kingdom hall which is what they call church when i was like 13 or 14. so do you think that has to do with your views of politics or um music or career path i don't know do you think do you think that has like do you think that has a bearing on like you like you leaving the religion did that have to do with your political views? Because I know religion and politics are totally different. Or are they? Yeah, absolutely. It's That's that's another side of contradiction where some of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses believe in are so radical. Like, I have never said the Pledge of Allegiance in my entire life. Oh, yeah. They don't do any of that stuff. Uh, yeah, and they, they do not go to war for anyone, anywhere, anytime. <sighs> I love that. Um, as a result, a lot of them, not a lot of them, but like 1,500 were um, killed during World War II by the Nazis. But um, We hate them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, so yeah, my political views are, are very informed by that. That's where my anti-fascism and um, definitely my anti-state views when I have them. So come from. From, from Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Halls. Yeah, but you know, I could have easily taken their socially conservative precepts out of it as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all learned in school Nazis are bad, war is bad. Well, some of us didn't learn very well enough, I guess. Were you homeschooled? <laughs> no, I wasn't homeschooled. I'm a product of public education. Me too. That's this podcast for um, my means of income. Yeah, but th the main reason I didn't want to go to the Kingdom Hall anymore one, I never believed in God. But two, um, they, at the time, and I think that this has changed, they discouraged people from going and pursuing a higher education after high school. And Really? Yeah. And my, my What was the reasoning behind that? Well, there, you know, there's the stated reasoning, and then there's the probably what was the real reasoning. Learning about the real world? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a matter of both social and economic control because you rely on your community more if you're working class and right. oppressed by ca mm -hmm. capitalism. Mm -hmm. um, but it, but it's also, they wanted, they believed in, they didn't believe in material things. They believe spiritual food, as they put it, would, um, was all that you needed. And my mother's a stellar example of this. She's a great person. Um, 
who has, you know, had a had a job and been comfortable with that level and never really seen a reason to do anything. No, absolutely. One way or if you're comfortable and that's it's working out, then yeah. So there's I a, would, I don't yeah. There were like a lot of carpenters and a lot of like blue collar people, um, receptionists, things like that, and not very many white collar. Um, professions among people that I went with and accordingly because most of the working class is people of color they're the Jehovah's Witnesses are just amazingly um multiracial and you know it's like United Colors of Bennington when did when did this come around was it before People's Temple you know Jim Jones the cult when did uh, Jehovah's Witnesses start yeah they, they come out of uh, the late 19th century so that's the 1800s yeah so it's it's, okay. it's, it's before way before Jim Jones. Yeah, that that was crazy when that happened, right? The People's Temple? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. That's just like one of well, my, like, my obsession things. There's, a, there's amazing facts about that, too. Where I like, know. I would love to have a podcast just about that massacre, massacre and how tragic and insane it was. All the new left, like, establishment people in California propped up Jones and a Guyana. Absolutely. And I know. I know. Yeah. I know. I And, like, that, I still have... That's, like, why I have, like, my qualms with L.A. Because the, all of these new cults are just, like, celebrated. 100%. It, it's crazy. And, like, you're just, like, indoctrined. And, ugh, I don't know. The culture is very, very centered around cults. And cult mentality. And, yeah. yeah. You know, but like even when you're within one of these systems, it gives, um, you know, later when you're out of it and you look back and you realize how socially oppressive it was or cut you off from opportunities, X, Y, Z. But when you're in it, it gives your life a lot of meaning because it's structured and you yeah. have a community to plug into. And if you're and, a lost person, like, uh, yeah, hell yeah. It it's appealing as hell. I probably would have joined. I yeah. probably would have joined the Manson family, to be honest. <laughs> like straight up. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, sorry, we are going off track and you told me beforehand that we did we didn't want any tangents. So no. <laughs> I'm sorry for going astray. But Al is misrepresenting the We can go back to the notes. No, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just joshing Jimmy. Um, I'm kidding. But you can go on. Let's, let's change the subject. Like, <laughs> like the Manson family has nothing to do. I mean, it probably could. Okay, I can, I can tie something into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, do your thing. Do your thing. Okay. So one of the things... Jimmy uh, is a writer also. His essay is coming out, he mentioned. Yeah, on Mask Magazine. On Mask Magazine. Where I'm a contributing editor. He's a contributing editor. So... And a journalist. This quote came out from Nixon's henchman a couple years ago, uh, his assistant, John Ehrlichman. And he said, We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt these communities. Oh, that, yeah, I forgot what the podcast was about. 
<laughs> like until you just mentioned that, I was like, what? Are, right. Yeah. Wow. That who said that? John Ehrlichman. He was one of the main people in the Nixon White House. Oh my God. Why is that like not like written on the walls everywhere? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so he did the initial war on drugs legislation in um, 69. <laughs> and obviously, like, if you think about, you know, Timothy Leary was given 10 years for two joints at the time, and he was the Jesus LSD Christ. guy. Yeah. Jane Fonda. I know who he is. Well, no, that you... well for the <laughs> listeners, in case you don't know um, who Timothy Leary is. The Weather Underground got him out. We Jane, love them. We, lo- I lo- we yeah. love the Weather Underground. I adore Bernadine. We could have a full ass podcast about them too. And Chessa is a great uh, DA in San Francisco now. It's so weird. Um, but so yeah, that quote. Um, yeah. So to start this war on drugs. No. So he's he started. Oh yeah. So so I, like the hippies and the black. And people. then I was going to say that famous photo of Jane Fonda where she's giving. It's a. Um, like she's being put into prison. What are those called? Mugshots. That photo where she's raising her fist, which is like iconic. A lot of people have it as their profiles. I've like literally never seen this photo. I'll show it to you. Okay. But that was just because they accused her of um, smuggling drugs, which were her vitamins. <laughs> so it wasn't even, she was like the most famous activist at the time. Right. Um, wow. And Obviously, everyone knows that in the 1980s, black communities were flooded with crack um, uh-huh, to uh-huh. fund the Contras by the CIA. But people also think that in the 70s that they flooded the communities with heroin beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. And lost so many jazz legends. How this connects back to Manson was oh yes, right, right that right. the most recent theory about Manson, which some guy that was on Chapo was talking about, he has a book out on it was that Manson was part of a MK Ultra op. Oh, man, I could talk about that, too. Go on, go on. Yeah. Too. Please, more, 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 more. And that's one of the reasons why they killed a celebrity. So they would get this media attention, and then they would associate hippies and the hippie culture with this, like, evil drug. I mean, the politics of Manson. I want to read this book, like, right now. Yeah. I, f- I, found, I found the argument really compelling because the politics behind the Manson murders never made any sense to me. Not so at all. Weird. Not at all. Yeah. Weird as hell. Though I did like the Tarantino movie about it a lot. You yeah, probably yeah. did. You, did you like it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. I can't believe we liked the same thing for once. <laughs> Crazy. Um, keep going. Yeah. And, uh, I wrote my master's essay, which is still yet to be turned in, but I wrote it on the Black Panthers. And it's so sad what happened to the Panthers because... They um, get flooded with drugs. They get flooded with government informants. And by the time Huey Newton is killed in their, I think, early 80s, 80s 90s, early 90s, it's at a drug bust. Um, so the drugs had a huge effect in taking apart the Panthers. And internationally, if you think about, like, the Mujahideen, they... They raised money through the opium trade uh, in their war against the USSR. That's what became the Taliban and Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. And the main person that the CIA was funding for that, he had six heroin refineries. 
Um, right. <laughs> and the FARC obviously sold coke to support their Marxist-Leninist. And this is why we have th- they put prohibition on people so they can. It's prohibition on all. They criminalized all these drugs that they were making themselves. Um, uh, all right, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep letting you talk. I'm I'm really bad at retaining information. Oh no, I, I was just using these as examples. Comprehension in general. Examples of um, kind of revolutionary groups or Marxist-Leninist struggle groups that were trying to take over government, having to fall back on selling drugs to do it because there's no legal way to come up with money and yeah. the black market and people sell a lot. Yep. That's, that's I like back when we could walk around and like overhear people's conversations. I was on Delancey and I heard this woman on the phone and she was like, yeah, um, like, uh, yeah, he got, in trouble for like selling drugs but like how he's gonna have to sell drugs now to like come up with the money for blah 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 how else is he gonna come up with 15 grand in two weeks and it's like yeah i just like overheard a little of it and it just like broke my heart a little that gets i mean that gets to michelle alexander's like new jim crow i mean this is a perfect example of it where a bill clinton bill you know minimum sentencing and three strikes in the 90s passed with democratic votes is the reason why two million people are in prisons and they're disproportionately black and brown. Still, like right now, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so many for drug offenses that no one cares about. Doesn't matter. Never mattered. Yeah. You know, and all one of those things, I don't even know why um, people associate um, drug prohibition with Republicans because it's been... Biden with the Rave Act, where you weren't allowed to give first aid at raves, and raves were basically made like harm reduction. How they're yeah. all against harm? Yeah, it's absurd. Schumer was one of the people that came out against Four Loco. I mean, <laughs> I don't think we need Four Loco. I, well, as as someone from Columbus, um, Ohio, uh, that was our best product that we've ever come I, up with. I. One after one, a four loco night, I had to throw an entire apology party to every single one of my friends. Yeah, because I told them all about themselves. That was a wild year. It was bad. I I, I lost. I almost lost every everyone I cared about because of four loco. So anyway, I'm pro prohibition on that beverage. Oh my god, so loud. Anyway, sorry. I am listening. Yeah, and then Obama. Under the Obama administration, that's what put salvia into the right. drug scheduling, too. Fucking salvia. So you can be sure that Biden... And Biden doesn't even support legalization of marijuana. It's just so weird. What? Yeah. Huh. I'm, I'm just trying to put all of those facts together. It's... Yeah, they, none of them really make sense. They... They don't line up. I think the, the the all those facts make sense to me, but the cultural perception of where drug use and hedonism, quote unquote, and, and alcohol use is on like a cultural scale, we think that it's a like a left liberal thing, and it's it's just not. And a lot of the laws come out from lobbying from the wine or beer industries 
for instance, in, in France, um, the only reason absinthe was ever made illegal was because the wine lobby um, lobbied for it and they had this big PR oh, campaign. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, they're the people that started the rumors what that assholes. absinthe made you crazy, which it doesn't. It doesn't do anything. But absinthe was becoming the most popular drink in France. And if you remember the Impressionists and Post-Impressionists, they all have these images of the Ugh. absinthe drinker. I hate winos. <laughs> But keep going, yeah. I know, absinthe is like cool. Yeah, the the painters and the paintings and the, and the absinthe. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you, you know, even thinking about like why we're not a wine country and we're a beer country, it's because the after the 1848 revolutions, the failed revolutions in Europe, a ton of Germans came over and that's when most of the breweries in America kind of got started. I mean, it's, we are... Hell yeah, we are not a nation of winos. <laughs> That is not American. Um, less so in New York, but in Ohio, people will look down on you if you order wine at a bar, which I've had to deal with in my life. Oh, have you? Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. But the pricing on wine here is all a product of um, government structures and regulation, too. There's no reason why wine is as expensive here as it is in a bar. Well, at... In New York, everything, it doesn't matter. It's just going to be more expensive. What I mean here, I mean anywhere in, or like, anywhere in the States. Right, right, right. I mean, it costs, like, it's basically free to make beer and wine, like any alcohol. Like, you can, it's just, you, it's, they just, it's like. Grapes. It's grapes. <laughs> it's potato. Like, that's what vodka is. It's potato yeah but but they keep these regulations in place that came in after prohibition for instance for people like um john mccain's wife uh her family fortune is from being the distributor of liquor and alcohol and something like 25 percent of all alcohol sales is just to i hate these people for distribution honestly yeah we should ban it all <laughs> we should be fuck these people it's not they do not it's not fair that they control the alcohol and turn us into alcoholics and we're reliant on them it's like so addictive we need to seize the means of production yeah 100 now more than ever oh that makes me so sick and angry and it makes me feel very punk and like very leftist for being sober. In fact, when people ask me why I'm sober, I will add that to my explanation. Yeah, I mean, it is really punk. Like the first person who became really associated with it in the States was Carrie Nation. And she would take a hat. I don't know who that is. Carrie Nation. And she would take a hatchet into bars in Kansas and literally break up the bottles of liquor. That's so cool. It. I want to do that as like performance art. Yeah. I listened to a punk band that was named after her. I mean, it, it is like direct action. To yeah, get the goods. sweet, and you get to break stuff. But like the only times I ever like broke glasses on purpose was when I was like in bars. Oh my god, I just remembered. Dan and I, we used to go to this bar that's now closed in Bushwick. This was before I became sober, and we would just t- the bar sucks so bad, and we were just Name like names. so bizarre, okay. bizarre bar yeah. in Bushwick. Uh, they're closed R. now. R. Yeah, um, not. We don't live in Bushwick anymore and we're not like miserable. I don't, I can't speak for Dan. Um, But anyway, we would just like get 
so drunk and then our activity for the night would be to take our empty glasses which would be stacked up to like 10 each take them into the backyard and throw them against the wall (laughs) and laugh about it because it was the funniest thing in the world anyway doing that sober i bet would be just as funny that's more of a Gigi allen vibe (laughs) which i love (laughs) <laughs> oh my god those that was that was so fucked up we could have gotten arrested like that's bad behavior or hurt yourselves or hurt ourselves yeah. smashing glasses against the cement <laughs> and cracking up oh my god those were the days behind me now i've found um another way to um express my political views through sobriety and having this cool pod freedom of speech freedom of speech um, that's a that's a good segue here yeah yeah um, go on i've set it up for you thanks yeah so like tea party people or trads in general who try to trads means traditional people right traditional people i um, uh, mm-hmm, keep going uh or people that like really valorize or fetishize things just because they're old um like steampunk people <laughs> or like the way that I wear this um Cartier tank watch from I think 1996 that's just class it's a class classy oh, look thank you yeah. um wait so I get it people who aestheticize like old stuff or for instance when tea partiers were you know a far right wing thing and they would dress up as the founding fathers ew I hated that too when Washington died he had the largest whiskey distillery in the United States (laughs) Thomas Jefferson imported $42,000 worth of Madeira and his bottles of wine still sell at auction for millions or whatever yeah we need to see if the means sam adams was obviously he made malt for oh my god i just put that together yeah <laughs> um whoa yeah that is so american so the like <laughs> the, the trades that made americans america's early economy are rum and whiskey tobacco and slavery and they were off it was a triangle triangular trade with the rum rum slaves tobacco and so three of the four (laughs) industries that we were um that made our country have any wealth were all uh producing intoxicants and then the one the other one that we had was obviously (laughs) was so much worse than that so much worse Um, we had a whole war about it yeah oh that was like the biggest one right most most deaths i I remember when you were (laughs) talking the you civil were, war yeah you're yeah. explaining something to me and then you're like and then the civil war is the biggest one when you're when you had to explain something if you're fighting on both yeah. sides you'd end up tallying a lot of fatalities <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah oh yeah this was a conversation we had when i was like why did we even have that we should have just been two countries and then of course you said because then there would still be slavery and i was like oh you're right you are so right. It was a case of me living in a little bubble. What what did they what did it, like a coastal elite sort of thing? It was a case of like if it's not happening here, then it doesn't affect me. 
Anyway, you made me feel, you put me back in my place, which, <laughs> Sorry. which is a thing that this. happens. Some, you don't remember. You must have been drunk. I remember everything. Um, something that comes with being a sober punk is that you remember everything. Sorry, James. Take it away with your next point. Because I don't even know what tangent that this is right now. Um, okay, so I was also talking about now, like more about the trads, you know, traditional when, people. Yeah, or when people, for instance, there's a new or newish account on Twitter. It's the traditional Western architecture, and there's that bronze goddess god guy thing or whatever. It's a big current right now. But you're talking about a culture where like. Homer's most famous line in the Odyssey is wine dark sea he's literally looking at the ocean and seeing wine and then symposia where where the Athenian um, culture that we supposedly base our government and our architecture on etc etc was all about Hmm. symposia that they would just were drinking parties that they would have with young boys and only men it was like a just for the fellas kind of thing oh yeah they had they like still have those bars here in New York. McSorley is well when bars are open. Still going on. <laughs> Just a guy bar. Yeah, you yeah. don't know about McSorley's? I've been there. Of course you have. I, I left though. I mean, you were able to go. Anyways, keep going. So it's yeah, lot, so they had like these boys clubs. It's a lot like um, you know, uh, evangelical Christians who think that alcohol um who don't drink alcohol and think that there's scriptural basis for it when christ's first miracle was turning water into wine oh yeah that was baller when during the last dinner he gives all of his disciples or the last supper he gives all of his disciples wine and says this is the covenant of my blood oh yeah they drink wine at church all the time uh, yeah absolutely and the jews drink wine like all the time yeah it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, so... I guess it makes it easier to accept that you're in this, like, religious cult. Anyway, it has nothing to do with what you're talking about. I'm sorry. Keep going. And and during Prohibition, Christians themselves were really divided, and it was a wet-dry issue where the dries were evangelical Christians and the wets were Roman Catholics. Wet. Yeah. Those were people that were in support of... Drinking. Drinking. And... Um, New York's governor uh, in 1924 at the Democratic Convention, he loses the nomination because the KKK wanted to support a candidate who supported prohibition and wasn't Roman Catholic. And so Al Smith didn't become the nominee and they just picked a random lawyer instead. Wow, it's it's hard to keep track of like the good guys, the bad guys, the left, right, the for alcohol, against alcohol. It's, it's super imbricated. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's very layered. And, um, the and good so guys, the bad guys. Thir- in 33, when FDR comes in, they repeal the amendment. And so you have the most progressive president by far in American history um, who ran on repealing prohibition when prohibition just 10 years earlier was seen as a progressive Mm -hmm. political issue. Sorry, who is the, did you say JFK? FDR. FDR. Oh yeah, we love FDR. Yeah. I, I went to FD Roosevelt High School, so 
I should know that little factoid about FDR. If I was a New Yorker, I'd be most proud of the tradition from that period where it was kind of like Al Smithfield, LaGuardia, and right, FDR. LaGuardia. I mean, they did more for FD- America than... FDR had polio. Did you know that? I did. Did you know Eleanor was a lesbian? Yes. And she had her own house? Yeah, she's cool. And they had a dog named Fala. I didn't, I, didn't know know that. That. I didn't know that. That's a good crossword answer. Yeah. Comes up sometimes. Anyway, I had I, FDR. Yeah, he rocks. Oh my god, our mascot was literally FDR. <laughs> I I'm not I'm not joking. With a wheelchair. With, or just like a with a um, wheelchair. <laughs> no, are you kidding? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> Hyde Park, New York. That's where he summered with the Vanderbilts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I'm from. There, there's a great movie where his assistant gives him a hand job in a car in Hyde Park, named after Hyde Park. Hyde Park yeah. represents. That's where I'm from. Sorry. Okay, but yeah, our mascot was was a guy in a wheelchair, like dress it. I'm not gonna talk about it because I don't want to like be called I don't want to be making fun of I don't want to be called ableist I'm not but literally that was our mascot it was insane that's, uh, that's really cool <laughs> I, yeah I guess it's cool it we're celebrating like we we really liked FDR yeah it's great for living in that town yeah. during the summer <laughs> <laughs> okay so go on to so FDR yeah so New York in that time is is the wet capital and everyone in the country looks at it, at it as being like the drunken, whatever, Sodom Gomorrah. Heathens. Uh, yeah, heathens. And. Not wrong. Not wrong. And that's the best, the best of us, I'm sure. It's true. All my friends are wet, I but believe. But. Because of that, that's when... Um, or, I don't know. I forgot what wets and dry... I, it's so hard, the distinction. The se- <laughs> Just keep going. The second best New York tradition, the mafia, um, came into being. and Love they, them. Yeah, they're very cool. They They've run this city. Done more for American culture than most people. 100%. And I'm pretty sure they are the reason weed is prohibited. Yeah, or a big part of it. Yeah, so there I think there's this like saying in um political science where it's Baptist and bootleggers and it's people who seem like they're on two sides of an issue, like two opposite sides, but they'll both benefit from the political issue being passed. Um so prohibition was pushed by Baptists, but then bootleggers were able to make money off of it, so they wanted it to continue. Cool. So cool. I wish there were more things like that. When you see like a weed not being legalized. It's right, like, right, right, right. Exactly that. Yeah. Exactly that. Prohibition rocks. I am pro prohibition. I feel like I always have been because even like, I guess it was, it's me like fetishize, fetish, fetishizing old stuff but like the, the speakeasies and like the flappers and like doing stuff that yeah. was illegal marx like brothers cool. yeah and marx vaudeville. brothers i mean it was all like- of that <laughs> stuff was cool those were the cool people yeah a good time yeah i mean i can see why people 
are nostalgic for that time and aesthetic is cool. Like still in New York, people are like, you know about this like one secret bar you have to like go through a person's apartment and then like go into the basement and then up these stairs and then go through a McDonald's and you're at this like speakeasy. I'd like to prohibit that. (laughs) (laughs) I would too. (laughs) There's a lot of things that could stand prohibition. But it's cool. It's like if you know, you know sort of thing. It's like secret club. Yeah, yeah. But but it's it's unneeded it's like anachronistic and so it's dislocated from right yeah it's it's anachronistic it's this is this is 2020 not the 20s yeah not the other 20s it's um larping as people say yeah that was then the 1900 so it was the 18th century or 19 20th century yeah those 20th century and those 20s and this is the 21st hundred years century ago the 2020s the 2020s okay we're having very similar things happen as back then it's been yeah let's draw some more parallels oh it's just you know the 1918 spanish influenza the rise of populism right that's a big one huh that's a really big one what else what else do your thing populist politics for sure the resurgence of um Socialism, communism, fascism. Oh my God! Yeah, it's actually bigger than it's ever been in my lifetime. Yeah, I never thought that some of when I was growing, when as a child in the '90s, I never thought it would be possible that these topics would be back in America. No, absolutely, because in public school we learned like it was bad. It's bad. (laughs) Bad guys and good guys. Damn schools are just like another way to control the people yeah dude man oh (laughs) yeah so that that's um kind of an overarching thing that i have to say about about sobriety um it used to be like jimmy carter when he was running in 76 he ran against the three martini lunch because it used to be that you could go to work, and if you're a businessman, you would have oh alcohol. That sounds like my old life, yeah, which lunch. was really bad, but also like glamorous. And that lasted in Germany and France until recently. Um, and three martini lunch. Oh my god, Louis would love that. In the beginning of you know early industrial capitalism, uh, most people weren't drinking water, and if they were drinking a liquid beer would be the safest. And so people that were operating machinery before OSHA, before any kind of regulations, when the machinery was new and it was cramped conditions and it was just capitalists that had, and they didn't have unions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That not was, only, was a really ugly time. Not only were you a child and you'd lost yeah. your arm, but you were actually drunk. <laughs> right. I, I didn't know about the drunk part. Yeah, um, often. And one of the things that uh, I think pro- prohibitionists were correct about in certain ways is that there was this saloon culture where workers who were immiserated oh, saloons are cool too or they were centers of political culture at the time and workers who were really immiserated by industrial capitalists would leave they'd feel horrible they would go spend the money that they had happy at, hour yeah at the bar and this is kind of what the term on the bowery 
comes from. Oh, um, I have never known. <laughs> but go on. Please explain. This is, is a nice little factoid. There's also a great documentary um, called On the Bowery. But Okay, so where does On the Bowery come from? What do you mean? On the Bowery just means you go to a bar oh, on, the, on Bowery. What On the Bowery means is that you're becoming dissolute. You're going on the Bowery. You're you're becoming you're losing control of your life. You're going on a bender. You're um, on the Bowery. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that was a term. I just thought it's like when you're walking on Bowery Street. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was because before there would only be bars, flop houses, which were a room that only fit a mattress that you could literally just lay down on. And then missions for the people who couldn't afford flop houses after they spent all their money at the bar. Right, right. And then they would go back as day laborers and work again, get the money and keep going. Yeah, it sounds pretty um, similar to life for a lot of people <laughs> yeah. in the new tw- in 2020. In other, yeah, in other. In the 21st century. Under, under other names. Um, On the Bowery. And there's actually a really great depiction of this. In on the Bowery means on the, on a bender? Yeah, going on the Bowery. Um, Interesting. It's a great depiction of this in Upton Who Sin- coined that? What do you mean? It's, not, it's a saying. I mean, someone had to have coined it. I don't know. Okay, keep going. Um, there's a great depiction of this cycle in Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. Great progressive novel, but less people know or fewer people know that Sinclair also ran one of the furthest left political campaigns for governor of California um, in 36. And so if he had won, he would have been this like um, icon of leftist politics. And in his earlier work, he was propagandizing against the saloon system right. and it's oh yeah yeah it's not just that um workers would lose all their money doing this it was also that the machine politics especially in places like new york and chicago they would use these saloons go in there tell people yeah. they'd buy them drinks in exchange for votes oh yeah so they were also Smart. cracking down on corruption in politics when they in the prohibition movement. Oh my God. I want to get people to subscribe to my podcast when they're drunk and just be like, you should, you should subscribe and see the light. Yeah. I think Elizabeth <laughs> Warren would have been a prohibitionist. Seriously. <laughs> um, let me think. Hold on. Hold on. Thinking where everyone aligns on this spectrum of prohibition and left, right. I think so too. Yeah. But the wets were like, really pro i mean they were composed mostly of new immigrants so they were very um it it, it was kind of like the sanders coalition in iowa and in nevada where there were a lot of um immigrants who were also supporting i don't think that bernie sanders would have been a prohibitionist that's my that's my that's my take yeah I mean, yeah, he wanted to legalize weed. That was like on his yeah. platform. Yeah. He literally, yeah. Um, like, why did he ever? Oh, yeah, because he wanted it to be decriminalized. I mean, yeah, I, there are re- there are many reasons why it it should be decriminalized, but I I think alcohol should be on the same uh, tier of uh, poison. <laughs> anyway, sorry again, <laughs> tangent. Oh my God, Jimmy, I'm sorry. Go to back to Bernie Sanders. What? No, I wasn't saying What was anything. before Ber- Bernie Sanders? 
was saying that Warren would be a prohibitionist. Oh yeah, which I think is just a fact. No, I I can I I think that aligns with her views on politics. I yeah. Though I can't remember if um, legalizing marijuana was part of her campaign. It seems so long ago. I don't remember what Actually, was on anyone's I, platforms anymore. I don't remember. I don't remember her position on that. Either. I don't remember like any any candidates' <laughs> positions on any policies. I can't, I can't even remember Bernie Sanders. And I have like a friggin' Bernie San, Bernie twenty twenty <laughs> poster in my window, like in my like home studio. I like took it down for a second when we were disenfranchised for a second. That was a, it was a meaningful. Um, That's when I ordered mine. <laughs> <laughs> I took mine down and then when we got the right to vote back, I put it back up. And I honestly like, I don't, I don't even remember like what anyone wants anymore. You know, <laughs> like the, the this whole uh primary race this whole year just like this year sucks not a good year not a good year oh okay james go back to your notes yeah Please. the thing i the point i was getting at earlier is that a lot of sobriety in terms of work culture in terms of like we're going to test you to see if you're sober oh right <laughs> and also like drug testing but also the schedule itself of the work day and how 57 minutes yeah yeah but keep going yeah yeah we're just the schedule itself of the work day and how the drinking culture um came around is all predicated on capital and on factories and on how um owners would benefit the most so if owners think that they benefit more if you're sober they're going to impose standards on you and that will become a cultural norm um it doesn't really have anything to do with anything and it, it wasn't a cultural norm for people to necessarily be sober at work very recently i mean people are still alive three martini lunch yeah um and when they do think it's in their interest for instance during world war ii there is this book that came out called blitzed and he details how not just the Nazis, but also the States were giving all their soldiers Adderall, basically, speed. Whoa, cool. I mean, not cool. I, an old me would have thought that was cool. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. But, but I mean, yeah, it's smart. But it's like... And it's bad. It's, bad. <laughs> it's a drug that like can give you a heart attack. Yeah, and it has its uses for them if, uh, yes. if, when it's appropriate for them. Yeah, I guess that's how, like, what was the thing? Baptist uh, boot kickers? What was it? Yeah, the Baptist and bootleggers. Yeah. That. I feel like that's what I, I'm get. I, that's sticking with me. Just the people in power benefiting. I hate to see it. Yeah, I hate to see it. Well, do you want to do you want to end? I mean, I, I I feel like I want you to explore more because you have a lot to say. Well, it'll be in your essay, right? No, actually, this these thoughts are only I coming love, out of like two paragraphs in it. Oh my god, cool! You're such a good uh, talker. I'm sorry, I'm like interrupt. I've 
you could have gotten like three paragraphs in if I weren't to interrupt you every four seconds. But I think my notes are. But Jimmy, um, I feel like we should record another episode because I think this is really interesting. And um, I absolutely would love to talk to you more about this. And I'd love to hear more and honestly, like refresh my recollection of world and American history. Well, I'd like to ask you when when you um, decided to become sober, did you see it in any way in a, as a political act? No, but now, I, as I mentioned, I will be adding it to my explanation. <laughs> I, I became sober because um, I was watching my life crumble before me, and I, if I kept drinking, I would have died or ended up homeless. Um probably I would have died. I probably would have like killed myself, honestly, because like when you're drunk and sad, that seems like a fine thing to do, like an easy thing to do. So when I, when I realized that I, I was, I was on a path toward like dying young, I was like, I have to be alive so I can live in New York. Oh yeah, th- well, yeah. Before before the dying part, I was like, I need. I'm wasting all my money on alcohol. Like I need to pay rent so I can be in New York. But and then the dying thing. But and also so dying, living in New York, and being a punk, leftist, prohibitionist, wet, a wet. No, a dry. <laughs> All of that had to <laughs> has to do with my my sobriety personally. Yeah, it, it's it's really disturbing when knowing that a certain amount of people are always going to have use is- issues that these large industries never have to really um, <laughs> apologize or, or face up to it. Right. Malcolm X had this great like. Uh, bit where he would talk about um the white man's seal and he would say you know the white man from the government like the government yes the seal is on the bottle of liquor that's making you an alcoholic it's on the pack of cigarettes that's making you have lung cancer it's on you know what i mean oh my god and and how like the white man's government was um supporting all these things that were tearing down black communities and impoverishing them at the time yeah, I'm getting angry. <laughs> so, let, yeah, I feel like we'll have another episode together where I will let you um, talk more. I'm and done. I will talk. Yeah, no, yeah. I know you're done. I'm wrapping it up. But I'm telling you, if you guys liked listening to Jimmy lecture, he's also <laughs> a professor, um, if you couldn't tell, and a scholar. Um, I foresee more... You use the word colleagues, so whatever. Um, anyway, you can find James on my personal podcast that is available if you just like look it up. Um, in addition to Montez, subscribe to their Patreon, subscribe to my Patreon, and please read James Payne's James Payne's essay titled. Two cults, one boy. (laughs) 
<laughs> Nerd. Um, <laughs> two Colts, One Boy in Mask Magazine. Um, yes, thank you, Montez. I think this went, went a little over an hour, so I'm going to cut the theme song short. Okay, till next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.